Amen. Well, as I'm looking at all of you guys, it's so nice to see a church that really does love each other. Amen. As we get ready for the Word of God, I was in prayer this week. I still pray on vacation, yes. In <laughs> 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 through 9. As I read this, follow along with me. And it said, It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea of Syria, from the horizon of, from Herodor of Tamar. Verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared, but he set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed the fast throughout Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over all kingdoms of nations? And in your hand, is there not power, might, so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God? who drove out the inhabitants of the land before your people of Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. And they dwelt in it and have built your sanctuary in it for your, for your name saying. And notice verse 9. And if disaster comes upon us, whether sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple. We will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear, and you will save. Amen. Amen. I want to go to verse 1. Go to verse 1 with me. This is the phrase that really just opened up my eyes. Word of God says, it happened. Come on, say that with me. It happened. And I want to preach to you on that very phrase. The title of today's message is It Happened. Now what? Let's pray. Father, bless this word. Help me to preach in Jesus' name. Open our hearts to understand. We've come here to worship. We've come here to fellowship. But we've come here to hear a word from you, Lord. So I pray that you will give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a mouth to speak now, your word, into all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. You guys can have a seat. You guys ready for the word of God this morning? You got to help me preach because I'm still a little on vacation, Lord. I'm still a little tired. But that phrase, I was reading this passage on a Tuesday morning in the balcony of our cruise. And as I'm reading this passage, I don't know why I was reading it, but that phrase, it happened, stood out to me. You see, <clears throat> Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Israel. 
Jehoshaphat was not only the fourth king of Israel, he was a descendant of King David, but Jehoshaphat was also one of the most successful kings that ever lived. Now, Jehoshaphat's success was not because of his wisdom. His success was not because his great-great-great-great-grandfather was King David. It had nothing to do with richness. It had nothing to do with influence. All of the things that this world says is successful. You're successful if you have money, if you have a large bank account, if you have power, if you have fame, if you own property, if you have this, if you were that. And look at that person. They're successful. That is not success in the eyes of God. Success in the eyes of God and the reason that God called Jehoshaphat successful can actually be found in verse 32. Verse 32 says this, that Jehoshaphat, he walked in the ways of his father Asa and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Let me say that one more time. Doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. Now help me say it with me. Doing what is right in the sight of of the Lord. If you want to know the true meaning of success is serving God and doing what is right in his eyes. That is success. And his father, Asa, was a godly king. And when he became leader of Israel, he did not become the type of king that wanted to be served. But he was the type of king that wanted to serve God. He wanted to serve others. And when Asa, his father, saw that all of Israel was away from God, when he saw that there were all these idols and pagan worship and everything wrong was happening, he took the initiative. He made the choice to clear the whole land of everything ungodly, to kill anyone that wasn't serving God. He made a decision that we're going to serve God from here on out. But little did Asa understand and know that his little boy Jehoshaphat was watching. Because you set the tone for the way your children are going to serve God. And when he saw that dad was serious about God, when he saw that dad put God first, when he saw that God removed, that his dad removed all the ungodly things, it set the path for Jehoshaphat's life. And he knew that he was going to serve God just like his father did. You see, you cannot expect your children to put God first if he's not first in your life. And your children are watching you. And Jehoshaphat would grow up to lead by his father's example. And he began to serve God. He put God first. He did what was right in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of himself, not in the eyes of others, not in the eyes of the world. He developed a godly way of life. He only saw things the way God did. And that's the type of people and the type of church we need to become. A person that says, or a church that says, we're going to do it the way God sees it. Not the way the world tells us how to do it. Not the way other people tell us how to do it. We're going to see and do things God's way. That was exactly what he did. And then God said, I can bless you. I can make you successful. 
Because all he did was do what was right in the eyes of God. Then we go to verse 1. Put verse 1 again. Say it with me. It happened. It happened. But after that, the people of Moab, the people of Ammon, and others came against to battle him. If you want to get the enemy's attention, start doing what is right in the eyes of God. You want to know how you're doing things right? The devil is fighting you. If the devil is not fighting you, it's because you're on his side. If the devil is not against you, it's because you are with him. And isn't it interesting that when Jehoshaphat started doing things, started doing what was right in the eyes of God, all of these forces came together to battle him, to stop him. And I believe that's going to happen in your life when you start deciding to serve God. When you start to say, we're going to put God first in this home. We're going to put God first in this marriage. I'm going to start doing my best to do what is right in the eyes of God. I'm going to remove ungodly things I know do not please the Lord. I'm going to stop watching things I know do not honor God. I'm going to stop listening to things that I know do not align with the Word of God. When you aim to do what is right in the eyes of God, the enemy will soon follow. He shows up. And the Bible said it this way. It happened. Battles are going to happen. This powerful army came up against him. And the Bible says that Jehoshaphat was afraid. And this is a valuable life lesson. Because even though you're doing what is right in the eyes of God, there are moments that are going to frighten you in life. Even though you're doing what is right in the eyes of God, it doesn't mean that from, not, from then on life is going to be easy. That no problems are ever going to happen. See, that's a twisted concept the church is starting to preach. That when you serve God, God's favor is on your life and it's true. And God will bless you and it's true. But we seem to lie to people in the church today and make them believe that problems are going to disappear Battles aren't going to happen, and everything from here on out is going to be easy. But how many of you, by a show of hands, can tell me, Pastor, I know that is not true. All of us, like Jehoshaphat, we can be doing what is right in the eyes of God, and the battle still happens. And the Bible put it this way. It happened. Come on, say it with me. It happened. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, it happens. A lot of things in your life are going to happen to you. And like Jehoshaphat, in our lives, all of these things will happen. And a lot of things have happened in your life. 
a lot of things have happened in your past. There's a lot of things that have happened you want to forget. There's a lot of things that have happened you don't want to talk about. There's a lot of things that have happened that still affect you today. But it happens. And maybe what happened to you was unexpected. Isn't it true that when something unexpected happens, we tend to say, I never thought this would happen to me? You hear of other people getting cancer, but you never would have imagined it'd be you. You hear of other people getting divorced, you never thought it would happen to you. You hear of other people that have lost a child, you never thought it would happen to you. You hear of other people losing their jobs, you never thought it would happen to you. It's one thing to see it in other people's lives, but when it's on your side of the life, and your side of the fence, you tend to ask yourself and tell yourself, I never thought this would happen to me. Isn't it also true that when things happen in our lives, that are confusing, that we don't understand, that makes no sense, we tend to ask ourselves, why is this happening to me, God? And we give God a little checklist and we say, Lord, I serve you. I go to church. I serve in the ministry. I, I go to Bible study. I pray. I read my Bible. I can think of a lot of people that deserve what I'm going through. But Lord, it makes no sense why I am going through this. I don't understand how this is going to work, how this is going to bless me. How can God allow this to happen in my life? And so many of you have had things happen that you're asking yourself that question today. Why? Is this happening to me? Can I get a little deeper? Some of the things that have happened in your life, you know why they happen. Oh, you know why you're struggling. You know why you can't get ahead in life. Some of the struggles in your life have happened because you let it happen. You made the wrong choice, didn't you? You married the wrong person, didn't you? You ignored the warnings, did you? didn't you? You said yes when you should have said no. You said no when you should have said yes. You gave in to the temptation. You made the wrong choice. You gave in to it anyway. So you can't ask, why is this happening? Deep down inside, you know why you're going through what you're going through because you said yes to it, you drank it, you smoked it, you touched it, you saw it, you heard it. I'm back. I'm back. I'm rested. I am rested. You don't want me to preach when I'm rested. But you know why it happened. And isn't it true? Maybe some of you here today, like Jehoshaphat, you serve God, you're doing your best to do what is right, but you're afraid right now. Because you ask yourself this question, this is the most fearful question you ask yourself, what's going to happen? 
going to happen to my family? It's going to happen to my future. It's going to happen to me if I don't fix this. It's going to happen to my life. What's going to happen if nothing changes? That is one of the most fearful questions we lose sleep over. What's going to happen? And isn't it also true that some of the most discouraging times in our lives is when nothing is happening? There's no change in your situation. There's boredom, routine. You're in the same life, same problem, same mess. Nothing's changing and you're thinking, God, why has nothing happened yet? Here's my point. If we're not careful, we can become a slave to what happened to us. In fact, many people, even in this church, I believe, are a slave to what has happened. There's so many people I meet, they can't get over what happened years ago. You ever met someone like that? They still mention them. They still talk about them. They still talk about it. It has affected their lives. It has affected their view. It has affected their personality. And there's a part of them, their life changed forever because they can't get over what happened to them. Some people can't get over what they did. You can't get over what someone did to you. And you know you can't get over it because the minute you meet someone new, you say, oh, he reminds me of him. Oh, no, I'm not going, oh, no, he does the same little twitch, he does the same, walks the same, uh, I can't trust him. Some of you, you walk into this church, and you go, oh, it's not something, no, I can't trust, I can't step in this church, I can't stop because this reminds me of my last church. You can't get over what happened to you. You can't get over what someone did to you. You can't get over how someone hurt you. You can't get over what happened. That is what it means to be a slave to what has happened to you. Some of you can't forgive yourself even though God has forgiven you. You can't forgive what happened because you made the wrong choice and I should have known better and I grew up in the church and I gave in and I was so dumb and I was so foolish and God's like, I don't know what you're talking about because the second I forgave you, I remembered your sins no more. But you keep bringing it up to God. God says, I have forgiven you of that. When are you going to forgive yourself? But see, that's when you know you're a slave to what has happened because you think you don't deserve the love of God, the mercies of God, the grace of God. And when God tries to bless you, you say, Lord, I don't deserve this because I did this. You are a slave to what has happened. Some of you are a slave to what has happened in your childhood. You're a slave to what has happened in your friendships, in your marriage, in your children, in your life. You are a slave to what has happened. And when you become a slave to what has happened, you will lose your joy. 
you will lose your peace. You will lose your strength. And though what has happened to you cannot be undone, and though what has happened to you is difficult to get over, I'm not belittling what has happened to you. I am acknowledging today it is difficult to get over what has happened. But I'm here to also tell you, though it is difficult to get over what has happened, it is not impossible to get over it. Well, I don't know, Pastor. Because what happened to me was messed up. What happened to me was just beyond forgiveness. And I wonder how many of you today don't even realize, I'm going to point it out to you today, that you are a slave to what has happened to you. It reminds me of a man named Esau in the Bible. Esau had a twin brother. We all know that there's always a good twin and a bad twin. The good twin? Yes, thank you. It's the pastor. We've got to pray for the bad twin. He's right there. Bad twin. Evil twin. Jacob stole his brother's birthright. Stole everything from him. Jacob was selfish, self-centered. His choice divided the family, broke the family apart. And if anyone you thought would never break your heart would be family, amen? How many can say, Pastor, I know family will hurt you. Come on, show me your hand. Family will hurt you. I don't care if they're your children, brother, sister, mom, and dad. If, the, if your family is a person, people are selfish, people will hurt you. And Esau was hurt by his brother. He, kept, he could not get over what happened. The Bible says Esau was bitter, vengeful, made a vow that he was going to find his brother and kill him. He was miserable. And even on his father's deathbed, you know you're a slave to what had happened because even in his father's own deathbed, guess what Esau was talking about? Jacob. And in Genesis 27.40, his father looked at him in the eyes right when he was dying and he said this to him, you will live by your sword. You will serve your brother. Let's pause right there. His father said, son, you are going to serve Jacob. You're going to serve your brother. And that word serve in the Hebrew literally means to be a slave to. When you can't get over what has happened because of what someone did, you become their slave. They control you. They're the reason you're sad. They're the reasons you can't move forward. You become a slave to that person. And his father warned him, you are a slave to this person. 
And it's interesting because Jacob was long gone. Jacob was living his life. Jacob was with his family. But Esau was the one miserable and enslaved by his brother. And maybe there are people in your life. Can I go there? There are people in your life that are long gone. They're out with someone else. They have their little family. They're living their life. And you're the one here still talking about them. You're the one still moping about them. You're the one still sad about them. My sister, my brother, my church, you are a slave to them. And notice what his father said. You will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke. The yoke represents bondage. You will shake the bondage that person had put on your life off your neck. If you are a slave to what has happened because of someone else, you can be free from them. But it's a decision. His father didn't say when you pray for it, when you believe for it, when you wait for it. No. His father said, son, you are a slave to what happened. But the decision is yours. You're going to break free or are you going to stay enslaved to them? Some of you are enslaved to what has happened because of someone else. Let's go to Joshua 1-2. I love God because God is straight to the point. The nation of Israel was on their way to the promised land, but Moses unexpectedly died. The reason I said that Moses unexpectedly died because the Bible said that Moses, though old in age, he was as strong as the first day. He was as strong as ever. So these people never thought Moses would die. These people thought Moses was going to be with them all the way through it. But unexpectedly, Moses did not come back from that mountain. Moses died. He said, yeah. He said, amen. That's my little nephew. He's a preacher or a worship leader. We don't know yet. But see, God is not mean. God is not insensitive. And in the Bible, God said, when someone close dies, you have a period of one month to mourn. Because God knows, hey, you're human. You need to cry. We all need to cry. We all need to be sad. We all get depressed. We all get discouraged. And God says, you go. You go have a good weep. You go have yourself a good cry. But then a month later, a little over a month, God looked down at the people that he wanted to bless and move over to the promised land, and he noticed something about them. They were still crying. And there was Joshua. Oh, Moses. Oh, Moses, I miss you. Oh, Moses. Oh, Moses, the good times. Oh, Moses. Oh, Moses divided the sea. Remember the time Moses, he, he brought water for us. I remember the time that Moses, he healed us when, when we got bit by snakes. Hey, do you remember that time Moses was in the mountain holding his hand for Moses? God said, Joshua? Yes, Lord. Uh, Moses is dead. Isn't that obvious? Yeah, it was obvious he's dead, but Joshua wasn't living like it. 
God was telling Joshua, hey, it happened. He's dead. Because some of you have lost things like Moses. You never expected to lose. And God is trying to tell you this morning, it happened. It's over. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now. Stay with me. Now. Therefore, arise, get yourself up, and go over to the Jordan. You know what God was saying here? You have been moping long enough. No, that's how you know you are a slave to a person. You are in bondage to a person because emotionally they still bring you down. You still get sad about it. You still get depressed about it. And even though it's over, even though it happened, you can't move on. But what if God is telling you this morning, it is over. He is gone. It's dead. But I have more for your life. I have a promise waiting for you. There is still more to be had. But as long as you stay enslaved to this person or to what happened, you cannot step into the next thing I have for your life. If you are a slave to what has happened, you can be free from it. You might be thinking, well, Pastor, how do I get free from what has happened? It's so hard to get over it. It's so hard to forgive. It's so hard to move forward. It's so difficult to forgive myself. I can't forget what happened because what happened was my fault. What happened was their fault. What happened was so difficult. What happened was so unexpected. Yes, it happened. Don't you become a slave to it. How? Would you guys like to know how? When Jehoshaphat prayed, look at verse 6 with me. Barbie, can you put verse 6 there? Jehoshaphat said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Jehoshaphat he could have said, are you not God? But he noticed, he said, are you not God of heaven? And that word of heaven in the Old Testament, it's not just talking about heaven where God is, the angels, and where we go when we die, but it's talking about the highest realm. You know what Jehoshaphat is declaring before God and reminding himself? Is that even though what has happened is difficult, even though there's so much coming up against him. God is still in heaven. He is still above all things. He is declaring what we need to learn this morning or be reminded of. He is declaring the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God simply means that God is above all things. He is in complete control of all things. And why is it so important that we understand this prayer that he prayed? Because whenever you go through things that have happened, though difficult, though impossible, though it hurts you, when you begin to understand the sovereignty of God, that God is above all things, 
it gives you such a peace because you know God is in control. You know how you break free from the slavement of what has happened? You acknowledge the sovereignty of God. Because this is how the sovereignty God works. Folks, you ready for this? Nothing happens without God's permission. That could give you the greatest peace you've ever had. Nothing. Did you know you cannot throw a surprise party to God? You cannot throw a surprise party for God because nothing can happen without God's permission. That's how sovereign He is. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is up in the highest heaven above all things on the throne looking at your life and He's saying everything that has happened I allowed. Let me cover the three areas to prove this point to you. In the Bible we see a man named Job who loves God, he serves God but Job, it seems like out of nowhere his whole life turns against him. And Job gets sick. And Job loses his health and his, his, he loses his finances. He loses his children. His wife wants him to die. So Job has health problems, money problems, women problems. He has a marriage problem. The Bible says it was the devil. Yes, no doubt. The devil will attack you. He will attack your health. He will attack your family, your children, your marriage. He will attack you no matter how much you serve God. But here's the interesting thing. The devil first had to go to God and say, Hey, can I touch him? Can, can I hurt him? Can I put him through some of the hardest suffering he's ever felt? God said, God said, go. Because even if you're under an intense, demonic attack, God allowed it. What about people? Okay, we covered the devil. Say, check. Devil, got it. What about people? Because I've been hurt, Pastor. I've been hurt by family. I've been hurt by my parents. I've been hurt by a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a friend, friend. I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by pastors. I've been hurt by you, pastor. I've been hurt. God allowed it. In the case of this, I want to remind you of Joseph. Joseph had brothers that were jealous of him that were angry with him and wanted to kill him. But in their good grace, rather than kill him, they sold him into slavery. 
And it was one of the hardest things Joseph has ever gone through because some of you like Joseph have gone through some of the hardest things of your life because of the selfishness of someone else. But in the end, near the end of the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, Joseph said this to his brother, as for you, you meant evil against me. How many know people are evil? He said, you meant evil against me. But God, can we say that? But God, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people's lives. And that word meant is what we need to focus on. That word meant in the Hebrew is a Hebrew word hashah. Hashab literally means to plan. So even though his brothers planned an evil attack on him, God allowed that to happen because God had another plan in mind. So God was planning to take their plans to bless him. But the sovereignty of God says, I'll allow that person to walk out on you. I'll allow that person to betray you. I will allow that person to hurt you. But you don't have to be bitter. You don't have to be depressed. Because when you acknowledge the sovereignty of God, you acknowledge that God has allowed it for my good. There's a purpose behind it. So I covered people, devil and the people. Let's talk about you. Did you know that your sin was not a surprise to God? God says before I knew you, before you were formed, I already knew you. You know what that word knew means? All of you. Before you were even a thought in your mom and dad's mind. Before that even happened. I already knew everything about you. I knew every failure you would make. I knew every weakness you would have. I knew every wrong choice you would make. I knew every sin you would have. I knew every sin and temptation that would control you. I knew before you even knew, before you even did what you did, I knew you would do. How awesome is God? For anyone that says, which I hear as a pastor all the time, God can't bless me, God can't forgive me, God can't use me, you don't know God then. Because even though you have done the worst thing you thought you'd never done, you'd never do, God already knew you'd do it. God already had a plan. And God will forgive you. That's His sovereignty. This could be seen in the life of Samson. God had a plan for Samson. God had a purpose for Samson. That purpose was not just to be strong and show off. But when you read the details, Samson was called to destroy 
the Philistines. But Samson got into the wrong crowd. How many know what the wrong crowd is? How many of you are the leader of the wrong crowd? Or were the leader of the wrong crowd? Samson met the wrong girl. Ever, guys, you know what I'm talking about? Met the wrong girl? Met the wrong guy? Samson thought he was smarter than God? Did everything at night? In secret? Can I, can I preach? Samson thought he'd sneak out at night and say, hey, this is great, I'm getting away with this. But God is sovereign. And God's like, you moron. I see you. And God warned him. Why? Because Delilah, if we say it right, Delilah. The sexy Delilah. She said, Boo, tell me the strength. Tell me the reason you're so strong, boy. Come on, tell me. Oh, girl, you know, she just braided my hair. That's my strength. He woke up with her with braided hair. Warning sign number one, she's crazy. Listen, if you wake up with a person that's doing your hair, run! But Samson was like, she's so hot though. Does it again. Boy, tell me, come on, stop, quit playing. Stop being funny with me. Come on, tell me their strength. Well, if you tie me up with string, with cords, I lose my strength. That fool woke up with braided hair and cords all around him. He woke up, he's like, whoa! With, with little, you know, braids. Church, was that not a sign? Run! But Samson's like, um, I don't think, well, because she's so hot. It's funny because you know it's true. And Samson kept going. And so he told her the truth. Shave my head. He woke up, his hair was gone. Said to himself, I'll shake myself off as I did before, because you think you're stronger and smarter than God. Not realizing that the Spirit of God left him. And it wasn't that you lose your salvation. No, that's not what that means. It means that the manifestation, the power of God was gone. It's like God saying, I can't use you right now. Because you're in sin. Church, you've been there? But God, I always wonder why God allowed the symbol of His strength to be here. Because even though you cut that hair, the enemy cut the hair. But you know how dumb the enemy is? They didn't seem to think, if the strength is in the hair, shouldn't we keep his hair cutting? But they didn't. And the Bible says, and his hair was growing again. You know why God did that? Because God is letting you know, no matter how far you've gone from me, no matter what sin you've committed, like that hair, I am so sovereign, I can forgive your sin and you can grow back again. And Samson, he was in chains. 
his eyes were gouged. And Samson said to God, Lord, give me strength one more time. And God was so suffering. He did. And Samson tore the pillars. The walls all came down. And here's what we think. We villainize Samson. But if Samson is such a villain, why is he in the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews as a hero? Tell me that. It's because Samson repented. And even though it cost him his life, because yes, God forgives, but there are consequences. But He will still forgive you. And when the walls came down, it destroyed and killed the Philistines, which means I still, in my sovereignty, fulfilled my purpose. But it happened the hard way. We covered the devil. We covered people. We covered you. God is in heaven so sovereign that no matter what has happened in your life, God is on top of it. Come on, praise Him, church. Nothing happens without His permission. That's why in verse 3, Jehoshaphat knows and acknowledges the sovereignty of God who is in heaven. And the Bible says in verse 3 of, of chapter 20, long story, Second Chronicles 23, I'll just read it here. And Jehoshaphat feared. He was afraid. And he set himself to what? Seek the Lord. That word seek literally means to put your attention on. Because church, I want to tell you this morning, whatever has happened to you, that you are a slave to, that you are afraid of, you need to seek God. He began to seek God. He did not seek his friends. He did not seek his money. He did not seek alcohol. He did not seek pleasure. He did not seek the world. He did not seek his own strength. He fell before God at his feet. And he started to seek God. He was seeking guidance from God. He was seeking strength from God. He was seeking answers from God. He understood that whatever had happened, though unexpected, though difficult, though fearful, I need to seek the Lord. And the reason that you are enslaved to what has happened, because I can almost guarantee you are not truly seeking God. And going to church is not seeking God. Singing a few songs with Frankie is not seeking God. Listening to a sermon from me is not seeking God. Seeking God is when you fall before God on the floor in your face and you say, help me, Lord! Lord, I'm sorry! Lord, I'm scared! Lord, I'm angry! 
Lord, but I need you. Help me. Give me wisdom. Give me strength. Lead me, Father, because you are sovereign. That is seeking God. He was afraid. He was seeking God. To understand the sovereignty of God unlocks the peace of God in your life. And in verse 15, God said this, and some of you need to hear this this morning. He said, listen, all of you of Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you kings of Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. That word dismayed literally means to be overstressed. How many overstressed right now? Do not be afraid. Do not be overstressed because of this great multitude. For the battle, the battle is not yours. You might be facing it. You might be in it. But the battle's not yours. But God's. Did you know that? Well, Pastor, I'm going through this. You're not going through it. But Lord, I'm fighting this. You're not fighting it. But I have so much coming up against me. No, you don't. Whatever's fighting you is actually fighting God. Who's going to win? Whatever you're up against is up against God. Who's going to win? Whatever you're battling right now, you're battling your marriage, you're battling your children, you're battling your finances, your health, the world, everything's up against you. But when you acknowledge the God of heaven, the sovereignty of God, you say, Lord, whatever I'm facing today is actually facing you. And the battle belongs to God. In other words, God's saying, I have a plan. I have a miracle coming. One thing I want to tell you today, church, is that battle you're in right now is actually God's battle. Why? Because you're His child. And I remember whatever, as a child, whatever I was facing... My parents fought for me. When I got in trouble in school, I knew it was just a matter of seconds. Mom's going to run through that office. Why? That's my child. When you are a child of God, you have nothing to fear. That battle is God's. So let God deal with it. God had a plan in the miracle. Can I tell you what what bothers me? Can I keep preaching a little more? Do you know what, what bothers me about this? Verse 16. God just said, hey, the battle was mine. 
tomorrow go down against them. And when I read that on my cruise ship, I said, wait a minute, God. Why tomorrow? How many want God to do something today? That's why it bothered me. Because God just gave the greatest brave heart speech ever. This was the first brave heart speech of all brave hearts. The battle is God's. Yeah, tomorrow. No, 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 wait, wait, God, but I'm facing this today. No, no, but I'm going to do something tomorrow. God says, I can't, I, I won't help you today. You're not going to see this change today. You're not going to see it defeated today. You're going to have to wait till tomorrow. Why? Can I go deeper? Verse 17. You're not going to like this part though. I could end this sermon. You all will be happy and cheerful. The battle is God's. But let me kill that mood of yours right now. God said tomorrow, I can't do it today. Why? You will not need to fight this battle. God already established that. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Three things. Three things. I can't do it today. I'm going to do it tomorrow. Why? Because you're not in the right position. In other words, some of you, maybe all of us, are in no position where God can bless us. You're in no position where God can give you a miracle. You're in no position where God can change your situation. That's why God said, I can't do it today because you're not in the right position. And that broke me that day. Because we beg God to change our situation, don't we? And we beg God to change our lives, change our problems, fix our problems, fix them, handle this, do this, bless me, miracle God, I need a breakthrough. But what if God is telling you this morning, I can't do it today because you're in no position. You're in the wrong position. See, even though God is sovereign, he won't do anything in our lives. We need Him to because if you're in the wrong position in your life, God won't do anything. The sovereignty of God is like golf. I try to play golf. I'm pretty good. No, I'm not that good. <laughs> but here's the thing about God. God and golf, they go together. Because when I'm standing on the first tee, I look ahead. And there's a, way in the back, there's a little flag. That's the goal. But I can see everything around it. You see, God has a goal for your life. God has a vision for it. He sees everything. 
And when I look down the course, I see water, I see trees, I see squirrels, I see sand, I see other people. That is what the sovereignty of God looks like. God says, I have a goal for your life. I see everything. And once I see everything, you know what I do? I go to my golf bag and I select the right club for the job. One club's not going to do it. So in my wisdom, based on what I know, I have to use the right tool. See, God in His sovereignty, based on what He knows about you and your life and everything He sees, He has the right tools to get you to where He needs you to be. He needs to get you to the goal. He knows the right people, the right time, the right place, the right thing has to happen. God has all of these instruments. He has all of these tools to accomplish His will for your life. Most important is once I get the right tools, because I see it all, and I position the ball on the tee, just like this, I just put it on the tee, I position myself. That's what God does. God says, I see everything. I know everything. I'm using the right circumstances, the right people, the right places, the right tools to accomplish the goal that I have for you. And a few weeks ago, I positioned myself. And I swung back. And I hit the ball so good. Church, I'm not exaggerating. Tiger would have been impressed. That ball hit the green. Danny doesn't know what that means. When you hit the green, it's like when you get close to the hole. Danny is terrible. And I was so happy. I I had that golfer walk. I was like... And all of a sudden, this old man with his little golf push cart said this amazing thing. He said, doesn't count! And I said, fool, what you think? What do you mean this doesn't count? And I got mad. You're a pastor. It was Monday. Days off. Pastor day off. I got mad and I was like, oh man, what you talking about? What do you mean that was wrong? Doesn't count. Of course it counts. And he goes, it doesn't count. And I was like, you, why doesn't it count? True story. I said, why doesn't it count? And he said, because you're hitting the wrong hole. Turn around. That's the hole. He said, son, you don't go from 1 to 11. You go from 1 to 2. And I said, oh. And that's how it happens to us. See, God, He has the goal. He has the vision. He's sovereign. He positions you. He uses the right circumstances. The right people has the right tools. But what happened? Why can't God bless me? It's because you're not in the right position. 
You're, you're in sin. You have bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, lust. And even though the goal is behind me, and even though God has a plan for my life, as long as I stay in the wrong position, God is going to tell you time and time again, it don't count. You can go to church, it don't count. You can pray, it don't count. You can read the Bible, it don't count. You can go to forward, it don't count. You can serve at forward, it don't count. Why? Because my heart is wrong. I'm in the wrong position. I felt foolish. But he said something I'll never forget. True story. He said, turn around, stupid. Oh, man. Oh, bitter man. <laughs> it hurt. But it's what I needed to hear. Church, turn around, stupid. Repent. That's what it means to turn. Come on. Come on, stupid. Come on. I can't believe Pastor called me stupid. Listen. Listen. How many of you say amen? Amen. Amen. I need that. Turn around. (laughs) Turn around. And when I turned, then I was in line. See, God is sovereign. And whatever has happened, has happened. But God cannot change anything until you get in the right position. And maybe that's your heart today. You're saying, God, I'm in no position to be blessed. I'm in no position to be used. I'm in no position because I know I'm in the wrong direction, of course. And as we close, I'll tell you this. You can turn. You could repent. Of saying, Lord, I'm enslaved to what has happened. What is happening is because I've allowed it. Lord, I know you have a plan for my life. I know you're sovereign. You see everything. But I know I'm in no position. But you can turn. And when you turn and say, God, I want to reach that flag. I want to reach the end and hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But I know in order to reach that flag, I gotta be on the right course. But it's interesting because as as Jehoshaphat and everyone got in position, look at what happened in verse 9 through 11. As he set to get on the right position, on the right course, Jehoshaphat said, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this temple and your presence for your name is the temple and cry out to you in our affliction. And you will hear and you will save. And now, hear, notice he said, and now, 
This is why when they got in position, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, the Mount of Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. He said, here's the enemy. Here they are. We're worrying us by coming to throw us out of your what? Position. You see, when you repent and you turn and say, Lord, I'm going to go on course with you, that enemy will show up and try to throw you off position. See, when you're playing golf and you're in line with position, there's other things happening. You got trees in front of you, you got water, you got sand. They're called obstacles. And those obstacles are there to throw you off. The devil is trying to throw you off position by sin, by temptation, by distraction. And you're trying to get in line. You're saying, Lord, I'm trying. I'm trying to get in position to get on course. But every time it seems like I make a commitment to get on course with God, all of these things start coming up and distraction is sin. Of course, the only reason that happens is because you're in position. The enemy's trying to throw you out of position. And it's sad because when I hit I might be in the right position. But sometimes I hit that ball. And it goes a little off course. And it lands in what's called the rough. That reminds me of our church. Because I have some of the roughest people I've ever had to pastor. You guys are rough. I've been to other churches. Some of the sweetest, kindest, spiritual people. And I, I said, Lord, why are you sending me such rough people? Some of you, I love you, but you're scary. Rough. I wouldn't have it any other way. But you know what I love about golf? When you hit and you get on the rough, the ball is still in play. Because some of you think you've gone off course and life has gotten rough. But see, God says, all right, I'm sovereign. I'm God. And I had this course set for you, but you went off course, okay? And it was rough, right? Yes, Lord, it was rough. It was difficult, right? Yes, God, it was difficult because life is difficult and life gets rough when you get off course. But even though you're off course, the game is still on. The ball is still in play. It's not over for you. And God meets you where you're at. And He lines up again. He says, let's try that again. He gets it back on course. Because I know my rough people. The devil tells you you're too rough. You've gone too far. You've done too much. What if God is telling you this morning, it happened. 
I'm sovereign. You're still in play. Come on, let's all stand today. Because you understand the sovereignty of God means it all happened for a reason. And I want to invite you guys this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed today. You're saying, Pastor, a lot has happened in my life. Some unexpected. Some I did. Some things I don't know why. I'm living with fear. I'm living with stress. I'm living with shame. I am a slave to what has happened. Would you show me your hands today? God bless you. God bless you all around the room today. Today is the day like Jehoshaphat, though it has happened, you can acknowledge the sovereignty of God. He is above all things. If it's the devil attacking you, God allowed it. God will end it at the right time. If it is a person that has hurt you, God allowed it. God has a plan. God will take care of them. You just have to move forward and move on. And if it's you and you're saying, Pastor, but what has happened is me. I sinned. I went off course. I'm in the rough right now. You may be in the rough, but God in His sovereignty says, though in the rough, you're still in the play. I'll meet you where you're at. See, something interesting happens when you're in the rough. You get another chance. And you hit the ball again. And some of you, God had to hit you hard to get you back on course. And some of you have been hit so hard and you ask yourself, why is life hitting me so hard? It's because God is saying, I'm trying to get you back on course. So today, if you want peace, if you want to break that yoke of bondage, declare the sovereignty of God over the devil, over people, over your sin. God in His sovereignty has the power to forgive all sins. Well, the Bible says clearly what we need to hear today. Do not be afraid. The battle is not yours, but God's. And if you're here this morning, you're saying, Pastor, I want another chance. Would you come to this altar today? And if you're saying, Pastor, I'm going through things that go beyond what I can handle. Would you come to this altar today? If you want to lay it before God who is sovereign, lay your sins before the Lord today. If you're saying, Pastor, I'm in the rough, but in Jesus' name, you are still in play. Let's all pray today. If you're sitting here today, Lord Jesus, I'm in the rough. 
a lot has happened. Jesus, I pray you forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for going off course. Today, I turn. And Father, I know you've had to hit me hard to get back on course. And today I'm acknowledging you are sovereign. Just say that with me. Say, Lord, you are sovereign. You are sovereign over the devil. You are sovereign over the people that have hurt me. You are sovereign over the sin in my life. Forgive me, Lord. As I surrender this battle, I just surrender this battle to you. In Jesus' name. Come on, give God some praise today. You guys are blessed today. Amen. Amen. God bless you all today. I hope you guys were blessed. You guys blessed by that message today? You guys. Amen. Give God some praise today.